Hello and welcome to another episode of the Rabona Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, co-host Miso Konga, joined by Ryan Hunt and Michael De Silva. It's Backless Travels. Yeah, damn right, co-host. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Part time. <laughs> oh, you guys don't miss a trick. We're going to be discussing Manchester City against Chelsea in the Men's League Cup final. Ryan will be having a great interview with Susie Rack of The Guardian to discuss the Women's League Cup final. We'll also be talking to comedian and Manchester United fan Nish Kumar about Solskjaer, uh, the story so far. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to that. But first of all, let's talk about player power. Let's talk about Chelsea in the League <laughs> Cup final. Can I just say, I was watching Dortmund Leverkusen. You can say. And um, I turned over from that to watch the last five minutes of extra time of Chelsea Man City and the shootout. I think I'd timed that absolutely perfectly. Yeah, literally. It was just all, have, it was all yeah, kicking off. You could have turned on in the, <laughs> with three minutes to go in extra time and not missed anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all about Kepa. That's extraordinary. Can I say your timing it was it was so good when you tuned in. I almost feel like you're like that, you're like the Eagles in Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Just turn up. Oh, like it's not hot enough yet. Let's wait for Mordor to start. Kicking off. <laughs> yeah. And the Eagles rock up. You're like yeah. the Eagles. I, I do feel like I timed it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, I just saw I saw Kepa waving his arms about basically just saying no. I thought it was Sari said afterwards that he was he was injured and it was a misunderstanding. I'm not really buying that, but that no. was my first reaction because I thought that no, surely not he's not refusing to go off. So mm. I thought he was just signaling that he's okay. But then it seemed like... It's a m- crazy power move yeah. by by Kepa not to come off because if you look at what Sari was planning, bring on Caballero, who actually company said afterwards, this guy's a penalty specialist, a shootout mm. specialist. So not only is a shootout specialist, he also knows Man City players. Sari must have been thinking the whole afternoon. That's the tragedy of it. Ah, here's my card. Here's my card to play. Here's my ace in the hole. But it's also an admission from Chelsea that they have overspent on Kepa because he's a £71 million goalkeeper who's not apparently good enough to save penalties. Which was proven. Uh, Well, well, listen, let's get into it because Max Rushton, shout out at Guardian Podcast, actually tweeted he should just take off somebody else for uh, Caballero. This is actually the most brilliant solution if he'd done that. (laughs) You can't do that though. Sorry, no, Sorry could have taken off Sorry could have taken off a, a different outfield player. No, you can't. You, can you can't do one, that. Yeah, you can only have one outfield player on the pitch. Uh, one goalkeeper on the pitch. Unless you play him outfield, but then he can't go in goal. Really? So unless Caballero is a dynamite penalty taker. <laughs> is that true? I'm pretty the sure. The laws of the game. You, you, otherwise, why wouldn't you just play two goalkeepers? Well, you wouldn't put them both in goal. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> yeah, so one of them would have to go in goal. Yeah. That was that was the thing. He said, just bring him on as an outfield player and then like swap him. It's the kind of thing that Cruyff might have done, actually. Yeah, I can imagine I'm not Cruyff sure doing about that. Really? Well, that, that's what he said. That's what he said. But you, you can cut this, but I think that's what he said. It's good chat. It is good chat. <laughs> no, but I think I, I sort of thought, actually, well, why not? Because he's clearly, he's clearly defying his authority. Yeah. He's humiliated him. And the thing about this was that the players did not say, get off the pitch. You know, I think that this is the, where... That would have been the most painful thing. This is where Asper Laqueta, I think, as captain, should have just but all gone... Of them. He should have gone them. over to Kepper and said, look, mate, <laughs> get off. Can I... I've just clarified the rules. Yeah. So, yes, a team may put two players with goalkeeping skills on the pitch, but only one of them can go in goal. So if he brought Caballero on, he still wouldn't be able to go in goal. So he couldn't come on in the goalkeeping with his gloves on and then just be like, all right, I'm going in goal now. I don't think. But then after extra time, they could swap them over and put Caballero in goal. Yeah, but you can't, pitch. but I don't think you can do that. You can't do that because otherwise, say, for example, you could just make another substitution as well or whatever. Oh, I don't know, actually. Maybe because it hasn't been tested. Like the penalty, This feels like the penalty rule when like Cruyff does the side foot. Mm. And until... Because Cruyff basically found a loophole in the rule. Yeah. 
But having all that said, though, all that said, and this is the crucial thing, I think, the fact is it wasn't just the captain's job to tell Kepa to get off. Where were the rest of the players in this? Yeah. They played for two hours on the same pitch, and they must be looking at it thinking, because yeah. then that's when the loyalties crystallise. And they weren't in Sarri's favour. And at the end of the game, they kind of cluster around Kepa, but they all looked like fools because this thing with Aguero, Aguero's penalty, yeah. was, I mean, can I say this as well? The egos of so many Chelsea players were exposed in that shootout. Mm. Like, Jorginho's skip. That looks very silly. Because he could, it was telegraphed. Yeah. When he does it before, he disguises it. But yeah. this time, it was like it was clear obvious. where he was yeah. going to hit it. Yeah. And then uh, Kepa does this like big crazy dancing on the line and then puts it under, Aguero goes under his arm. Yeah. And if he just stood still, he would have saved it. I mean, it's... The thing about the, the the situation is the situation. It was just a complete mess it was, all around. Yeah. So you don't know what's being relayed in terms of communication. If the Chelsea coaches think that he's injured and then he says he's fine, it's fine. If Sarri actually has a strategy there where he's all along, if it's going to go to penalties, he was going to put Caballero in, then I don't think any player, it doesn't look good when any player disobeys their manager like that ever. If he's told Kepa before the game that that's going to happen, then yeah, Kepa's well out of order. But it just—I don't—I don't know what the. I just do you know what I mean? I've never, I've never disputed because look, here's the thing: it wasn't like you said, "Are you okay to come off?" Like they—they consult you. They're like, you know, if you're being taken off because you're injured, the coach will say, "Look, are you okay to continue?" But here's the thing: it wasn't like you said, "No, I'm fine to continue," and he stepped back. Zola came off the bench and Zola is the dude. Zola's like the nice yeah. guy. If Zola gets involved, you yeah. know you're in trouble. Yeah. It's like the wolf in Pulp Fiction. Like when he comes out, you're like, this has to be sorted. <laughs> and Zola did not have the clout. That was the worst thing. <clears throat> well, because then, here's the thing, because if Zola's going to succeed, um, sorry, which I think would be a mistake, but I don't think Zola's that great a manager. You've already seen that he doesn't have the clout to like get that dude off in the heat of the moment. That to me was like a major indictment. I think the, the saddest or the most telling um, part of all of this is that Sarri was unable to even say, be honest about what happened in the press conference afterwards. He felt like his position at the club isn't strong enough to be able to say, no, Kepa defied me and I'm really angry. He said he had this excuse, which we all know is, is just is just a cover up. And I think Sarri's stock has fallen at the club, perhaps even further than we all realised. John was really harsh as well. He couldn't even have a cigarette. Oh, keeping a person's cigarettes away from them at a time like that. Oh, it, was, it, was, it was really, you know, I have to say, it, it, it all That's why he went off down the tunnel. Like yeah. It was like, I need a cig. It was so relatable. I mean, he actually should just do a cigarette advert at this point. Just in the tunnel. In the tunnel, like just for those moments, because it, it would be hilarious, you know, for those moments when you absolutely nothing else will do. When your, goal, when your goalkeeper defies you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> but this is the thing, right? So anyway. He'll so, be like, Ariza Balaga, I haven't heard that name in years. <laughs> <laughs> but like, the thing, the thing about it is that they can still make the substitution though. Yeah. So yeah. if you say, if they're, they're on the touchline and they are desperate for him to come off mm. for whatever reason, right. then they can still be, say to the, fourth official no we're making the sub file the papers they do the they put true. the numbers up and just hook him yeah that's true yeah they'd have to physically remove him from the field well no because if his number goes up the, it's on the ref then to make sure he goes off like you but, make a substitution you know and players kind of walk off really slowly and the ref comes over and is like come on mate I'm going to book you but I said this on Twitter I said there's a, there's a moment in that sort of episode where you can almost see the referee going like 
should I send this to VAR? Like, you can see it. It's almost like he's thinking, players, players broken down. It's controversial. Like, you can almost see him thinking. Because at the very end, there's this weird signal he does when he goes play on. You know, like when, you know, like when, v, when a VR decision has been made and the ref does something, he goes, no, no penalty, no goal. And he does this. He did the same movement with his arms that you do after a VAR decision. He literally goes like, safe. Like, it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, but in my heart, it kind of looked like he, he was just like, right, I've had enough of this. All of you, just get yeah. on with no, it. No, I don't yeah. think it was that. I think it's different. I don't think I think he was traumatized. I think in that moment he experienced some form of a trauma because he didn't just go, no, let's just play on. Yeah. He was like, safe, yeah. safe. Listen, because I'm not trying to have a go at Chelsea because it's the situation. I just saw I saw a Chelsea fan on Twitter trying to play it down. <laughs> he was going, Oh no. Oh, you know what? That was just like, you know, there'll be a couple of like firm words, maybe dress room, but after five minutes they'll sort it. I said, they won't. <laughs> no. It's gone. No. Actually, gone. do you know what? It would have been fine. I think it would have been fine if Kepper and her winked at the camera. I well, missed that. Did he That wink? was just pure, I mean, SAS levels went like sky I'm telling high. You, I'm, I think there's a part of me that I think, I said this before, I think he was doing it for the gram. I yeah. think that the consciousness of like, I mean, he was based like a social media villain. Mm. That weird goal line stuff, you're trying to psych out Aguero on the line. Mate, it's Aguero. And then the, the weird thing was, and Edison got away with it because City won, but let's, let's, let's actually save a bit of beef for Edison because when uh, Hazard walked up to the spot, Ezen was standing. He, so Hazard walks up to the area and Hazard is standing, you know, um, Ezen's standing on the penalty spot. So Hazard has to like back him up. Have you seen this? Yeah. And then, then Hazard chips him. Yeah. He puts the ball <laughs> over his head when he's virtually, the, the great thing about the Penenka is that Edison goes down quite late. Yeah. And the chip is so beautifully struck that when Edison, it's so, it's so funny because the ball goes so slowly and mm. so high. Edison has time to fall down and get back up. Yeah, and still, and they're still going in the air. <laughs> it was I, was, that, it was, I was enjoying the um, the FIFA esque um, TV angles for that penalty shootout. Yeah, there was a lot of goalkeeper antics in shootouts this weekend. Yeah. Karen Barzi got booked in the women's league really? Cup final for doing on what? Saturday. Come off the line. But basically, she was just walking right out, slowing everything down, and all of Arsenal's penalty takers were ready to go before she was even in her own six yard box, mm. and and then she. She basically eventually got booked for it. Yeah. It really fascinated to chart the evolution of how much goalkeepers move in shootouts because in the old days they'd just be on the line and ready. But now there's so much interaction and drama because goalkeepers mm. have realized, I'm sure they've done all the research and been like, the longer it takes someone to shoot, yeah, I'm sure yeah. they've looked at all the stats and been like, if you delay the penalty by X seconds, yeah. the chance of missing goes, goes up by up. X yeah, percent. Yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah. they've done all well, the stats. Anything that, anything that messes with anyone's rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it, it shouldn't be allowed, really. No, no. it shouldn't. It shouldn't. Um, but yeah, so first Pep Guardiola becomes the first Man City manager to retain a major trophy. A major go. trophy. That's the definition of it. It's a major trophy. I just said a major trophy. I'm, I'm yeah, but it. I just, it's a good job. It's a visual format, not, not a, <laughs> I mean, an audio format, not a visual one, because otherwise, I just saw. No, my headphones are a bit. I just thought, yeah, major trophy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. major trophy with a question mark. Major. Just going to enter some subtitles here. Do you know what? Sarcastic, <laughs> sarcastic I have enough look. trouble on this podcast as it is without my words being taken out of context. <laughs> it's from the United corner over there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, speaking of United, yeah, what a massive point that was. Do you know what? Actually, can I say this? For the first time uh, in months, I've always tipped Liverpool for the league. I mean, this season. This was the first time I thought to myself, ah, you know what? They, they need to be careful. They might not do this. Oof. And I say this because the criticism of the front three, I think, is unfair. I think that actually what happens is when you come up against a very well-organized mm. defensive system as, as Liverpool did against Bayern, mm. who play very well defensively, and United, then you need more from the midfield. And the creativity midfield, I think, just needs a bit of a look if Liverpool are going to push through. I still think they have the quality, of course, to win. Mm. But what? how many goals did they score this season? 59. 
that's decent, but City have 74. And the one thing that Liverpool did not want this season to turn into is a shootout. Yeah. And it's turning into a shootout and they do not want that problem. Mm-hmm. And the game against United, and I'm, I'm talking about Liverpool here because I want to you know, not be United-centric and give them credit. And I, I feel bad when I see players like Salah get criticised for not finding space because there wasn't that much space. And in those matches... Luke Shaw had a great game. In, in the, yeah, well, he's a fine player. In those games, the centre midfield have to make the difference, carry the ball into the final third, release shots from distance. De Gea wasn't really tested. So I think there's a little bit of rejigging Liverpool have to do at this point um, and, and step up in that sense. They've had circumstances this week, though. You know, they had injury problems against Bayern. I absolutely. mean, yeah, and, absolutely. you know, yeah, for yeah. playing Fabinho at the back and he did really well. Yeah, Firmino went off on the weekend against United. And Big actually, yeah. I, who, who didn't go off in the first half? Oh, in that game? <laughs> like Wild. I think the ball was in play for about five minutes in that first <laughs> half. But um, I, I kind of, think Klopp overplayed the how United's injuries affected Liverpool's rhythm a little bit but I can kind of understand it I was really surprised he didn't bring on Shaqiri for Firmino right uh, Firmino sorry and um, I think when the only shot on target they had in the first half actually came from Sturridge though when he had that P-roller from 25 yards yeah. that De Gea saved I mean I like Sturridge a lot but the problem with Sturridge is it's the Zlatan problem when you have a player like that a fixed nine then the the, the, mm. the attack becomes predictable. You know who to pick up. Yeah, and Whereas, the, be- the yeah. beauty of Liverpool's attack at the moment is it's so unpredictable. And you've got those, I think Shakiri can fill that, any one of those front three roles, really. Yeah. Whereas Sturridge kind of slows the play down a little bit. Um, he's, yeah, as you say, I like him too, but... It's a systemic problem. It's not really him. Fit, when he comes it? in, the system, it would be anybody. If it was, if anyone would come in, they would change that. Definitely. Yeah, I think, I think it's, that weekend was definitely a massive point game for United and definitely two drop for Liverpool because with United struggling that that much physically you would have really expected Liverpool to yeah. to just go after them and and fair play to United I think it was I think it was a it was a really big point for them well Can yeah I, I mean sorry. they defended really well as well yeah. Lindel- I just want to say Lindelof was great what's impressed you about him in the last few well he can play with any partner he's shown that already Phil Jones Chris Smalling and also he's he's so good with the ball and I'd never really saw that of him before but he yeah. took a lot of flack though this season up until very recently and I think you're just seeing that he's actually a really really good defender I was always in the Lindelof corner yeah <laughs> always uh, on United uh, just very quickly um, McTominay specifically who played in defence midfield, when I saw the teams, I saw that Matic was out. And actually, funny enough, I think that worked in United's favour because Matic is a wonderful player, but when you run all over him, he doesn't have the, the legs to keep up with you. It's just a physical thing. It's a speed thing. McTominay is very light on his feet mm. and very disciplined. I think sometimes too disciplined. I think sometimes his passing is not as ambitious as it could be. Mm. But I think he is capable of the transition pass. We saw that when United beat Chelsea 2-1 at Old Trafford last season, where he's very good at playing the ball out if he has to. Um, the transition pass but he was just so disciplined and I want to mention him specifically because he's a player who's been criticised a lot not without foundation a lot of the time mm. but he did add a lot to the game I thought um, he was the man of match I thought I thought it was terrific yeah. I'd agree with that I thought he was really good and he added so much to United's midfield Solskjaer has solved a lot of problems in the short time he's been at United yeah I think actually for some more Solskjaer love should we bring in Nish yeah let's do it let's go for it We are joined today on the Rabona podcast by the wonderful Nish Kumar, comedian, satirist, social commentator at large, currently on tour through the finer regions of the UK. Nish, so good to have you on and talk Manchester United. 
Great to be here. Great to be in the Lowry Hotel, <laughs> home of Jose Mourinho for a two and a half years. Great to be in the site of Jose Mourinho's Alan Partridge breakdown. <laughs> I think they're going to stick one of those blue plaques on that suite one yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really weird. It's really weird to be here because people like. I, I mean, I don't think this extends to the staff, but everyone refers to it as the Mourinho Hotel. Like when you when we, somebody asked me where I was staying, I was like the Larry Hotel. And they were like, oh, the Mourinho Hotel. Like I can't decide whether it's been good or bad for the branding of this particular. <laughs> it's incredible. It's also the birthplace of William Blake, though, isn't it? I mean, he went through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if William Blake had been responsible for some tedious football, <laughs> I would read. Listen, before we get into Solskjaer, I, I would definitely read a book of Mourinho's poetry. Yeah, I'd be I mean, very I'd intrigued. Be incredibly aggressive. Yeah, handwritten. I want to see handwritten so we could analyse the sample. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, we'll get into it. We'll get into um, United now because, you know, it's all about the positives in the future. Well, hopefully. Solskjaer, how are you feeling about him so far? And how fair is it, do you think, to say that this is now his job to lose? Okay, I think the PSG game was a good sort of reality check for right. all of us because yeah. we've all got a bit giddy. And PSG game was a real sort of reminder that he still has things to learn right. and steps to take to get to the kind of top level of management in the game. But I would give him the job. I think that he's actually shown much more tactical nous than he's maybe being given credit for. Some of the coverage of him, it's like, it sounds like he's like a competition winner. Like, he's just <laughs> like, he's so, so happy to be there. And he sort of, the game yesterday, I thought, he managed in incredible, incredibly difficult circumstances. He managed really, really well. And I think that he's got more of a tactical acumen than he's being given credit for. I mean, I think the Spurs game at Wembley, when they went with the kind of diamond and the split forwards, right. was a really interesting piece of tactical thinking. And yesterday, when he sent them back out in a kind of rejigged 4-5-1, that spell 15 minutes after the uh, halftime break was probably was United's best spell in the game. Yep. And they really, for about 15 minutes, against the odds, I actually thought controlled the game before fading a little bit. But I think he's got more tactical now than he's been given credit for. And I think that he yesterday showed that he's learning from experiences like the PSG game. I, I, I personally, I think, I think it's his job to lose. I think I absolutely think that when you have a manager who the players respond to so positively and who shows themselves capable of learning and adjusting. I think that stands for a huge amount. That's really interesting. Ryan, you want to jump uh, in? Yeah, Nish, I just wanted to ask you as a United fan how you are feeling now with regards to Solskjaer as opposed to when he took over. Would you imagine that it would have been this good at the time? Definitely not. I mean, there's a sort of, because, of my, because I'm 33 years old, because of the age that I am, I have a huge amount of nostalgic fondness for Solskjaer, obviously. Right. Um, and he... You know, but some of that is just me wishing I was a teenager again. But actually, that would be a terrible idea. I had a terrible time the first time. I don't think I'd want to go. Nick, I just wish I was 33 again, to be yeah, honest. Yeah. But, but he, so I, I have a tremendous amount of warm feeling towards him. And so I was happy that he was taking over in a sense, because I think the end of the Mourinho era was so poisonous that it felt like doing something just to reward the fans might be just tonic. But I can't pretend that I had any idea he was going to do such a good job. I mean, it's been extraordinary. Yeah, you know, it would be completely dishonest of me to say, yeah, yeah, I always saw this. I always saw this coming. I really didn't think that he would ply himself with and have this amount of success so short term. I really thought 
yesterday of all of the things that he has done yep. that have shown up the job Mourinho did. I think yesterday's game was the thing that would make Mourinho most angry because forget the kind of disjointed attacking and the sort of odd shaped formations. Yesterday was an excellent defensive performance from United. Right. And yep. it's the sort of thing that Mourinho was, his personal brand is built around performances like yesterday, where he has to rejig the team, but the kind of organisation at the back is second to none. And it was so odd watching United under Mourinho be, I mean, the, the game that did for him at Anfield, the defending was absolutely appalling. And yesterday, you've got Luke Shaw, a player who for large periods of Mourinho's tenure, he just seemed to take against. Luke Shaw snuffing out Mo Salah. Victor Lindelof looking like a kind of world-class centre-back. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. I, I thought yesterday's game was the most damning indictment of the Mourinho era, much more so than the more sort of explosive attacking displays. I keep finding myself impressed by how Solskjaer deals with slight disappointments, you know, how he dealt with PSG, how he yeah. dealt with yesterday. And actually, he, you know, he said that it was it was definitely a positive. It definitely felt like a point gain for United yesterday. And he was like, you know, we overcame the circumstances as opposed to, you know, just moaning about the injuries. Thirty minutes in, you'd have absolutely just settled for nil nil, you know. Mm. But that seemed incredibly unlikely, where, particularly by the time Lingard was, you know, limping off. I do also think there's a couple of players like Alexis Sanchez being the number one that I don't think have a future with him because if Solskjaer was willing to bring on uh, an essentially one-legged Jesse Lingard. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, this is the thing. He has so little in the squad in terms of depth, um, yeah. which is, again, is an indictment on recruitment, and it's not that, you know, that's, that's the Glazer-Woodward aspect. Um, yeah, absolutely. W- one thing before I forget, and one question before you leave me, tell us where you're going to be next um, on, your, on your travels. There's no shortage of professionals coming forward out of the woodwork now to hawk their services at United. No shortage of opportunists and, and shysters coming out of the woodwork to say, oh, give me this, that job uh, at United now that, you know, uh, Mourinho's gone. And I'm, I'm sure you're no different. So if Solskjaer were to employ you tomorrow, what job would you deserve at United? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, uh, how's the... Uh... What's the current employment status of the guy inside Fred the Red? <laughs> what's, what's Fred the Red status? Is there room for Fred the Red? And not a second Fred the Red? <laughs> that would be but great. Even then, Fred the Red actually has to run around quite a lot. So I'd probably say understudy to Fred the Red. <laughs> would you have the fitness and the comic timing, though? I, I mean, I would like to think I've got some level of comic timing, but I, I, my fitness would be a real issue. I think I struggle to, I, I struggle to run around naked. Why would I do that? <laughs> yeah, I imagine come come May time, being in that kind of polyester yeah, suit, that's going to be yeah, being that's in tough. that red, the red costume is yeah. not going to be fun. Well, Nish, that sounds great. I think you could be the the final, the missing piece of the dream team at United. <laughs> <laughs> but before you go, before you go, firstly, thank you so much for joining us, and secondly, where can we find you online and on tour? I'm at Mr Nish Kumar on Twitter. My website is nishkumar.co.uk, and I'm on tour in the United Kingdom until the first of. April and I'm all over the place and the dates are all on my website. Until April Fool's Day, that's incredible. Well, yeah, I'm doing four shows that that weekend and bookending them are two shows at the Hackney Empire, one on March 29th and one on April 1st. And the eagle-eared amongst you 
will have registered that that March yes. 29th is the day of the UK. Yeah, we're all, <laughs> we're all <EU> nodding. <laughs> um, and then the 1st of April is not only April Fool's Day, but technically our first working day outside of the European Union. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I don't know. We're trying to organise two bouts of a thousand lots of tin goods. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> in the event of some sort of no deal Brexit scenario. Uh, Nish, this is a an absolute joy, and I can only my only regret is I won't be in the UK for these gigs because they sound they're going to be an absolute. Cracker. We won't be allowed to go. I'll <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sort our paperwork out. Well, my my brother is uh, my brother's coming back. My brother is a resident of Berlin, and he oh, wow. is coming back for that weekend to see the shows. And there is still some doubt as to whether it'll be able to go home. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. Oh, well, Nisha, well, luckily you'll be in the country and you'll be performing and you'll be brilliant, I'm sure, as always. Check him out, listeners, if you haven't already. He's one of our very best uh, talents. Uh, Nish, an absolute joy, and I hope to see you soon enough. Lovely to speak to you guys. Take care. Thanks so much, Frank. Thanks, Nish. Cheers, Nish. I'm back from the break and we have to talk about Leo Messi because, because, because Leo Messi is underrated. Leo Messi is still underrated. He is. I, I've been doing a little research. I oh. thought I'd bring it with me. Oh, here we go. Michael DeStato. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one was going around 50 career hat-tricks now. My goodness. Um, 36 goals in 35 games just against Sevilla. Oh, poor Sevilla. 650 goals, 267 assists in 797 games. I mean... And he has, he has five Ballon d'Ors, nine La Liga, six Copa del Reyes, and four Champions Leagues. Hasn't won a World Cup though, mate. So, yeah. yeah, what a fraud. Overrated. What a bottler. Asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> yeah, he was, it was an amazing hat-trick. And I mean, they were all great goals. The first one, I've got news for you guys. Uh-oh. He shinned it. He's, yeah. Oh no! Here we go. Here we go. I've watched it. Do you know what? That's fair I've, play because that's harder to do. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I've 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 watched that replay about seventeen times. You sound like a trufer. And he, uh, a messy he caught, trufer. He caught the lower part of his shin. It was. Uh, Michael's got the proof on the wall like that. Always sunny. In that volley was so wild because he places it in the top corner with he his shin. It. Yeah. It's so, fantastic. Yeah. I know. Do, you know. do you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> Messi can't even get any love. We're having this podcast. <laughs> We're talking about. It's not a criticism. <laughs> He's is is if anything, it's uh, it's proof of his genius. But yeah, he was absolutely unplayable in that game but yeah. he's unplayable every game we just take it for granted now. But here's the wild thing. So I watched back the performance and I was looking at and actually until he scores the goal poor Sevilla they defend him really well yeah. he actually is not really doing much of the goal so he, he tries a lot of these like one-two passes passes into space in a typical Messi mm-hmm. crossfield try shots they close him down so well because what Sevilla have realised is Messi is human and great players have off days so of course what you do with a great player is you basically Hit him early, not hit him like physically, but like you, you crowd him early in the game. Mm. Don't let him develop a rhythm, and you basically like knock him off balance and hope he has a bad game, which he's done in Champions League. I but, think, yeah. Sorry, but just to throw this in, the second he gets space and scores that volley, after that, and you yeah. look at every touch he makes since then, every run, every move, and it's like he just locks in and then he just slaughters. Yeah, him. for most players, you that kind of defending would be absolutely fine. Right, you know, you wouldn't expect him to absolutely thrash it into the top corner like he does. Yeah. But it's also the, the the second goal was great, right foot, you know, um, curls it into the top corner. And the last goal where he just, time just seems to stand still. Do you know what, right? You ever, do you remember those like old 80s films that would have dogs in and they'd always do like a view from the dog's perspective and everything's <laughs> a little bit like different. <laughs> yes. Like, I wonder if Messi's like that where everything's just 
slowed down or yeah. in like night Cause, vision. Because he just seems to be, he seems to do stuff. Like all of those finishes yeah. were, uh, like he didn't have any time to do any of them. And well, it was the cross, like he was just like slowing the, everything down. The cross for the third goal was coming in and the keeper was already scrambling to mm. get into position. Messi was virtually standing still, um, almost playing in his head what was going to happen before right. it happened. It was it was staggering, and then just and then just it, so casually, or it seems so casual, but it's actually such a difficult. Skill. Well, because Lingard had the same scenario, um, slightly mm. closer in against Alisson. I didn't go for the chip; tried to go round him, mm. and you know, different situation, a different player might have just lifted have it over him. It. Yeah, yeah. Um, can I give a shout out to Isman Dembele though, because Barcelona looked a lot better when he came on on the weekend, as always, yeah. and he doesn't get enough praise. I don't think. I think you're seeing, you know, a tale of two expensive signings and they're very different and Philippe Coutinho is not having a good time at Barca yes, and, sure. and he's, I think it's getting to the point where they're going to, they're going to have to look to move him on in the summer, I think, because it's just not really. He doesn't link the play. Yeah. But I want to say about Messi before I forget, you're very right on Coutinho and um, I saw, I think, Kevin Williams on Twitter saying that he felt that Alenia was a much better fit mm. because he, he sews together the midfield a lot better. And you know, Dembele's been great because Dembele is again in this sort of slightly people are suspicious of slightly sort of free looking wide player who doesn't do much defensive work, but mm. I mean scoring vital goals. Mm. One thing I want to quickly say about Messi is that if you look at Messi's average position, and maybe we can sort of maybe ask sort of the stats zone team about this at some point. If you look at Messi's average position on the pitch, I'm not sure he's a striker anymore. He's like probably the world's highest scoring number eight because mm -hmm. the positions he takes up, I watched it back and I was like, am I right? Am I being crazy here? I went back over Messi's performance. The amount of times he comes and takes the ball off the centre-backs. Yeah, can I cut in here? Because right. I, I did see his heat map. Oh, wow. The game. <laughs> yeah. And it was very orange for quite a lot of the pitch. So yeah. you're right. He's 31 and it's inevitable that he's going to... Um, He's going to drop oh, deeper. He's right? going to. We're going to be in five years' time. We're going to be talking about the age of the sweeper when Leo is playing up behind him, Titi and Longley as yeah. a sweeper. He's going to be. He's going to we'll we'll revolutionise the game again. We realise it was just Messi. Yeah, we'll look back. And, I mean, he literally plays as an eight. He plays the position that David Silva and Bernardo Silva are playing. Do you know what though? He's goals. getting to the stage of his career. He's thirty-one. I'm. I'm starting to fear the end. Mm. I'm, don't, I'm, no, don't, I'm, don't, I'm fearing don't, life after Messi, you know, because it's it's a reality. Yeah, very definitely. Soon. Yeah. Who else will distract us from the abyss? We've got Jaden to keep our mind off it all. Sancho Corner. Speaking, Speaking of, of all uh, Sancho Corner. <laughs> let's uh, let's move over to Sancho Corner. Sancho Corner. Take a seat. <laughs> uh, we've got some stats. Ooh, let's go for it. Shout out to Stat Zone. We don't even have to go and search for them anymore. Stat Zone are very kindly tweeting us Sancho stats every week. <laughs> saves, us, saves us at least a 20 second job. They love the Sancho corner. <laughs> Jaden Sancho versus Bayer Leverkusen. Two shots, both on target, one goal, four chances created, one assist. Nine out of nine attacking third passes completed. What That's off guy. the scale. The thing about these final third passing stats, which is wild, is that, look, only a few years ago, it was completely fine before I think stats have been recorded to be quite wasteful in the final third. You know, try things that don't come off. But now we have this age of efficiency. You look at someone like Raheem Sterling, right? The amount of times Raheem Sterling recycles possession when a, when a cross gets overhit uh, and Sterling will collect it and then get the ball back in. Mm. You saw Bernardo Silva do it in the uh, League Cup final. The amount of times Bernardo Silva dribbles into coverage of two or three players and retains possession and comes back out with it. I mean, it's just on a different level now. You know what? Yeah, that's absolutely right. And Sterling is, what is he, 24 now? Um, Raheem the Dream something like yeah, that yeah Raheem the Dream I love that, I love that. <laughs> that's got to be a thing I'm surprised it's not well it is now Raheem the Dream 
he uh, Raheem, the <laughs> Raheem the Dream Sterling. <laughs> Sorry, Michael. The thing about Sterling is that he he's now quite an experienced player. You know, he's built up that skill over over many years of being able to keep the ball, be efficient with the ball in the final third, and make the right pass, a correct pass. Sancho's doing all that at the age of eighteen. It's wild, isn't it? I've, I've, I don't think I've been this excited about a young English player since, well, Sterling, but probably Rooney. But what makes Sancho so exciting is the peak is not in sight. Yeah. You know, this is the thing we said about Sterling before, and he's now achieving his potential. Yeah. He still has even better to get. I think he's that good. Sancho is just, it's the maturity of the decision-making, the variety of goals that he scores. And we've seen that evolve like in front of our very eyes this season. It's like every game he just seems to learn something and get better. And he's had an advantage that he's had an almost unbroken run in the team, but that's obviously a result of his goals and assists. But he's learning, he's learning, and that's... What it feels like being in Germany now with Sancho, it feels like, you know those people that get to see the Arctic Monkeys early gigs? You know, like you know, when, you, like when they were playing around the corner before they were really famous? It feels like that. It feels like we kind it's of... It's a privilege. We saw the... Yeah, it's a privilege because we saw the early development. Everyone's like, oh, Sancho, is that good? No, we're really... No. And then people see him play for England. Yeah. And then he gets more coverage and we're like, yeah. oh, we told you. We can just be there. I know a few people in England who don't seem to really appreciate quite how good he is because maybe they've only seen... Um, one England game that he played in right. um, and perhaps Dortmund versus Spurs the other day when he was good in the first half, but then got shut out in the second. He, I'm, I'm looking forward to people in England realising just how good yeah. he is. I really, there's been so many rumours recently about him going to Man United and this is nothing to do with Man United, but I really, really don't want that to happen. I don't want him to move. I, I want Sancho to be one of these English players and I really can't really think of one that this has happened to before who's never gone back to England. I actually don't want him to go to United either. And I love Sancho and that's why I don't want him to go because yeah. I feel that if you have those young players all in the same squad, they won't all get regular playing time. Mm. It will disrupt their careers. And I think he deserves a place to shine. He's earned it. He's a, I, I want him to go somewhere like... Barca. Barca, him on Sancho one side, Dembele on the other side. Yeah, it has oh. to be, if he if he moves, and I think Dortmund's the right place for him, by the way, but if he moves for for a year or two, but if he moves, it has to be somewhere he's going to actually play. Yeah. Right. I, do you know what? I can actually see him staying in Germany and going to Bayern. No, that'd be uh, horrific. You know what Pep would do? Pep would buy him for Barca. <laughs> no, Pep's brain, Pep or Cruyff, Cruyff, this galaxy brain Cruyff would put a midfield three at Barca of Messi, Arthur, and um, Frankie de Jong, Frankie, yeah. the two wingers, right, Sancho and um, Dembele, Dembele. And, then, and buy another nine. Kane. And that, yeah, right, and that, I'm sorry <laughs> I want to say it in front of Michael, but that's what I was thinking. But that team but he's one would of our devour own. everything. <laughs> would that team not be Arsenal everything reject. in sight? Yeah, no, he totally, yeah. Oh, I mean, Because <laughs> Messi's going to be an eight. He's going to become an eight, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. Um, Atleti didn't concede again, just Yay! in case you're wondering. Morata I mean, scored. Yeah, Morata got his first goal. Oh, good for him. What a lovely man. After having one disallowed as well. He looked, when he scored, there was this moment Morata was like going around and like, oh, is this real? Is this actually happening? Yeah. And then it's, you know, he's obviously very popular already and he has that sort of really amazing work ethic. Shout out to Griezmann because Sid Lowe said very quickly, Sid Lowe said, um, Griezmann is so underrated. I want to say, listen, I'm always team Griezmann. Yeah. Um, I think he's an extraordinary player. Just quickly, what do you think of Atletico's chances in the Champions League this year? Because since we our last podcast, <clears throat> they picked up a, a really big 2-0 win over Juve. Thomas Lamar needs to take off. They need him. Yeah. They need him. They need Thomas Lamar like Real Madrid needed Di Maria in 2014. They need him to be a game breaker. Yeah. That's their final hurdle, I think. Yeah. Finals in at the Wanda this year as well. Yeah. So, Let's incentive, go. Incentive. 
Okay, I'm delighted to welcome to the Rabona podcast, Guardian women's football writer Susie Rack. Susie, thanks for joining us. No problem. You were at the game on the weekend, the Conti Cup final, which is the Women's League Cup final between um, Arsenal and Manchester City. The only two sides to have won the competition since it was rebranded. wanted to see what your thoughts were. It was another League Cup final that was 0-0 and went to penalties and ultimately Man City won it. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, fairly straightforward when you went into it. Man City were the, the kind of kind of clear favourites in the at the moment they're unbeaten in uh, domestic competitions um they've got a really strong squad they've got most of like 90% of their players are fit whereas arsenal are kind of absolutely decimated by injury and mm. um, they've got seven plus first team starters sitting in the stands watching most games at the moment and the bench said it all um city a bench of six outfield players plus a keeper filled with international talent arsenal mm. had uh three outfield teenagers from their academy with no international experience at all and Vivian Miedema who is obviously their star striker top scorer in the league this season but was only fit enough for the bench uh, herself so it, it, I mean it was it was an uneven contest straight from the off and in that sense it was very impressive that Arsenal kind of held out for as long as they did and managed to go the 120 minutes without conceding because uh, Man City have best defensive record in the the league Arsenal's isn't isn't fantastic um and they you know they have struggled against uh Chelsea and Man City recently and so it was a, you know real kind of solid de- defensive performance they set up very defensively which is very kind of un-Arsenal at the moment and Leah Williamson and Louise Quinn were absolutely incredible at the back and uh sorry Van Vienendaal the goalkeeper was you know had one of the games of her, of her career um arguably I think uh, Karen Bardsley afterwards, City goalkeeper, praised her, praised her quite a lot. And, you know, said it's it's you know it can be a, a big mental challenge when when your opposite number is is having the game of their lives, um, and you've got very little to do to maintain that focus and not think that it's this is going to be their moment when mm. when they're having that game because because you know as a keeper that when when you're having the game of your life, you feel like it's going to go your way. So sh- that's the mindset you've got. You're sit you're standing there. And it's very much a mental game rather than a physical game with the outfield players. It's, you know, really interesting comment. I wanted to touch on Leah Williamson because you mentioned her mm. before. And she's someone who is making real waves for Arsenal. She's only 21 years old. I think that was it. Was that her seventh final already? Arsenal, yeah, she's she's fantastic. I mean, she, she's got a huge amount of pace. She reads the game really well. And then she's absolutely brilliant at playing out from the back. And she, like, like you say, she's, she's 21. She's been at Arsenal a long time. And what's evident speaking to her after the game and previously is uh, her passion for Arsenal, her family, yeah. uh, support support Arsenal. Um, you know, she's played for them since she was a kid and uh, and she cares. You can, you can feel it. She really cares. I mean, she was gutted to have, have missed that penalty. It was yeah. almost, you know, she was very much... Kind of her, her performance before that was irrelevant in those moments after the game. You know, she was absolutely devastated. But but the thing is, is, is she was fantastic in that game. And I think you know, it's it's hard, it's hard that it had to you know end the way it did with with her penalty miss. She seems to be incredibly wise beyond her years. Like the way she talks about the game, the way she talks about her game specifically as well. Mm. Every time I read anything about her, I just think coach. Yeah, Joe Mansour said it after the match. She said she she's um, got the maturity of a thirty year old, and you know, so. I think she's massively underrated. I actually think she is as is as rated as, as she should be quite widely now. But yeah, she's she's just superbly mature. I, I've also similarly thought she's got to go into coaching afterwards. You yeah. never know where, where, which kind of way people will go. But she's definitely got she's definitely got the wide for it. Yeah. She asks the right questions of 
her coaching staff off her players and and of herself um, and is always is always wanting to develop and improve but is constantly questioning the reasons why things haven't gone right or what has worked in, in a way that's just incredibly thoughtful so the final with the two top teams in the FA Women's Super League Man City are currently top two points ahead of Arsenal where Arsenal have two games in hand as you said decimated with injuries how do you see it playing out? What's your gut feeling on it? Because it now takes a break for a couple of weeks. Do you expect them to get some players back soon? Yeah, I mean, you would hope so. You'd hope. Um, I don't know if uh, Vivian Mirdemer is going to travel uh, with the Netherlands. I sort of hope she doesn't. Um, I think she desperately needs a rest. I'm not sure what the time frame is for Leah Walty and Emma Mitchell to come back, but they both, I know, were kind of um, pot, slight, slight possibles ahead of the final. So hopefully they'll be back and able to kind of spark a bit of life back into into Arsenal but um I my, my kind of my heart says Arsenal my head says Man City for the title there's an incredible desire amongst the Arsenal players to win that league now they've got no other distractions whereas City uh are, are still in the FA Cup so there is that but City are just so brutally efficient at the moment um and they they don't they don't look like they're gonna they're gonna drop points whereas Arsenal kind of of, of late uh post Christmas of of really be grinding out results a little bit in a way that they they just didn't have uh, at the start of the year. They they were just kind of swaggering all over the pitch early on. Now it, it, it's they're, they're being made to work. So it's just whether they can hold out. They, I think as long as they get Champions League football, as long as they get top two, they they'll be satisfied with the season. Obviously, not not taking any silverware away would be a blow, but they've not had Champions League football now for, I think, four or five years or something. And, you know, have such a rich history in the competition being the only English side to have won that tournament. So, you know, I think as long as they get Champions League football, that they'll feel like this season hasn't been a total write-off. But without that, it's, it's going to be... Uh, it, you know that would be that be a massive blow. And um, just a quick one before we let you go, you're off to the She Believes Cup this week. I am. Yes. Um, for those who don't know what it is, do you maybe fancy giving us a little bit of a breakdown because it's a, it's a cool little tournament. Yeah, so it's a, it's a friendly tournament, and usually you know you kind of could be a bit dismissive of, of yeah. most friendly tournaments, but it's it's actually got a bit of bite to it because it's usually some of the top teams in the world playing over three uh, three days of double headers so this time around it's, it's, it's in its fourth year mm. um, and it's, it's always been used as a as a kind of big tournament a test of teams uh that are kind of fight for titles so for the world cup it's it's a massive massive test of england uh particularly as uh they play the us obviously who hosts the tournament uh and are holders of the world cup and japan who were the runners-up to the us last time out uh, and are in England's group, so that's that's a really really good indication of just you know how competitive England will be at the World Cup. Obviously, you know Jill Scott's not going because she's having a rest, and there's other players that that will be back in time for the the World Cup itself that, that won't be out in the US. But in terms of a, a an overall idea of kind of the level that England are at ahead of the summer, it, so it's a really good indication. It's a really great. Uh, great tournament there's three games they play Brazil first then the US uh, and, uh, and then Japan and like I say you know having such high level opposition in the run up to a World Cup I think is really really important all the games are being shown on, on TV as well on BBC 2 or BBC 4 which I think is a is a big boost yeah, uh, and a, a nice change too um, Susie before you go can you just maybe let people know where they can check your stuff yeah so um, I'm obviously writing weekly for the guardian every tuesday i have a uh, a women's football column go up and um and then i'm at most games so you can find on the guardian website and in the newspaper brilliant susie thanks so much for joining us brilliant no problem cheers 
After um, Real Madrid's outrageous VAR penalty decision that it, won them the game at Levante. This is Casemiro, right? And the fact that it went to VAR and didn't get overturned. Yeah, it was a shocking dive. From yeah, Casemiro. really bad. Uh, we got a question from Hamdan. What do you think would be the next step in the evolution of VAR? The recent controversy in La Liga has got me thinking that VAR needs to evolve from its current form of usage, which I 100% agree with, actually. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't just that game as well. In the last few days, we saw um, Schalke versus Man City, yeah. where it, it pretty much ruined the first half and had a detrimental effect on Schalke's chances, I think. Mm. Um, for me, it has to, I think that te the technology has to um, has to work quickly and efficiently. If it doesn't, then it slows down the game and the speed and, um, you know, the flow of football is probably its secret kind of ingredient you yeah. know um so we saw in at the same time atletico juve var was used two or three times and it was just done quickly and it didn't really affect the play in the schalke game it was done i mean the official um response was that there was a technical oh yeah the screen didn't work yeah um so yeah i think vr is great if it's used for it only though if it's used for firstly key uh, moments that are black and white so offside, disallowed goals, whatever, but it has to be quick as well. I think that actually the speed that they watch the replays back has to be addressed because the problem with VAR is that if you watched me playing football at the speed they watch the replays back, I'd look amazing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So it's not very trustworthy in that sense. Is that speed is a big gauge for how you, whether you can award a lot of decisions or not, yeah. especially in handball. So yeah. if you slow a handball down, every handball is going to look like a handball when it's yeah. not. And... I think that's the problem with it. Every foul looks like a foul or every challenge looks like a foul. Yeah. Even even where you exaggerate contact, it yeah. can look like a worse foul when you slow it down. True. So that, that, I think that's a problem with it as well. I think if VAR is going to be truly effective, it needs to work on a um, on an appeal system like we see in yeah. other sports, you know? Spurs were undone um, at the weekend with a corner at Burnley that should have been a goal kick. And if Vertonghen is absolutely sure that that's a goal kick, then he tells Lloris, Lloris makes the challenge, it's successful and they keep that challenge. Yeah. Um, and maybe one challenge a half, something like that. That's quite, yeah, that's good. That's really good, actually. Smart, practical solution. Uh, what always gets me with VAR is that FIFA introduced goal line technology, but they really had to have their arm twisted about that for a long, long time because they were worried how it would affect the game, the speed of the game. So they introduced that and then quickly... Um, introduced VAR, which wasn't tried and tested. I think their decision making was a bit off there, but they need to fix it. Um, right. And if it's fixed, it could be really beneficial. Uh, while we're on the questions, should we do the? We've got a few other questions. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Doing. Yeah. Um, so this one is from Eric Renko at Eric Renko. What do you think happened in Chelsea's locker room after the cup final? And what do you think will happen next with Sari? <laughs> I think um, Kepa just grabbed his bags and ran for a taxi. <laughs> I think Sari played the diplomat. I don't think there was a. I don't think there was a slanging match, given how he handled it in the press conference. I think he took that same move the dressing room to be projecting here, and I think he just kept it, kept it light, kept it like. Did you notice before the yeah, penalty sorry, shootout sorry. that Rudiger um, kind of took Sari to one side and was just saying to him? Like, well, I can only assume what he was saying, but it must have been, don't blow up over this, you know, trying to calm him down. 
So maybe, um, yeah, maybe Surrey had kind of cooled at that point. I think it was quite sedate afterwards. He yeah. also strikes me as the kind of guy that, whilst he would have been really angry in the moment, I can't imagine him being that fond of just launching into someone in the dressing room. Also, he knows his current standing at Chelsea is on kind of unstable ground a little bit. So he has to pick his battles, but it would have taken a lot for him to bite his tongue over that one. I reckon Zola was the one who would have gone mental, actually. Wow, that's a good shout. And as well, you know what's funny about the Zola thing? Because Zola, you can see him, he's someone who really respects the institution of the club. Yeah. And the disbelief he had on the bench was really something. I think he looked, he looked genuinely hurt by it. I think Sarri, um, I feel a little sorry for him in some ways because he's made mistakes tactically and all that. And we've discussed that on po previous podcasts, but he deserves time and he deserves respect and space to be able to rectify that. And it's still his first season. I know that means something different at Chelsea, but I feel it's something a bit distasteful about how he's being treated at Chelsea. I just hope he gets the payoff. I hope he gets sacked and gets the big payoff. I don't <laughs> want him to get sacked, but I hope sacked as opposed to leaving of his own volition. I just hope he gets that payoff. I think he deserves it. Another question? Yep, sure. Uh, this one's from Polar Bear. Oh, the great, the great poet, Stephen Camden, the great writer. Who is slash was the last great, in capitals, number nine? Ooh. Robert Lewandowski. Do they have to wear number nine? <laughs> it's the state of mind, the nine. Nine is the kind of, when I say nine, I say the arrowhead, the absolute tip of an attack where it's a 4-4-2 or a 4-5-1. That person that plays at the apex, who doesn't, who does a limited amount of link-up work, not because they can't, but because they're actually like always at the edge of the six-yard box to the edge of the penalty box. Yeah. That is their domain. That, that to me is level. You know who was great at that? He's probably not the last one, but Gary Lineker. Absolutely superb. Oh, for sure. For sure. He did rarely involved in link up play. Like, I mean, he would drop back a little bit and make the odd pass out wide, but he was all about finishing. He's actually underrated within so. within ten oh, twelve yeah, yards. Lineker's yeah. underrated, and I, I say this because there was an interview where Masala Salas, when he was starting to peak for Chile and just before he moved to Lazio, was compared to Lineker, and Salas was like a child. He was just so excited by the comparison. That is the level he's he's held at, and I think it's because Lineker's understanding of space, which I think he shares with actually someone like Hernan Crespo. You know, Hernan Crespo and Gary Lineker were, in terms of understanding space in the penalty box, and delivering these astonishing sort of close range finishes. I mean, yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. What about someone like Zlatan, or is he too involved? Zlatan. It was funny because I saw him was like a kind of people hate the expression a nine and a half. I know what they mean, because if you look at his first season at Juve, he scored like 16 goals, I think, but he was an incredible playmaker, an amazing passer. Yeah. So almost really a deep-lying forward who did score now and again. Drogba, you know, Drogba is another one of the, so the, the pure nines. Yeah. Of course, the great phenomenon, Ronaldo. You mentioned before the podcast, actually, Michael, uh, Gabriel Batistuta. Um, he was pure nine. Uh, he's a pure nine. This, this is what we mean. When we say a pure nine, we mean somebody who is basically playing primarily on the front foot, yeah. whose instinct is not to drop deep and link play, but just to be yeah. crashing the near post. You know, for me, the definition of a number nine, actually, let's just get into it. A number nine is someone who attacks the near post because actually a striker's instinct mm. is to go not sort of in where it hurts, but in where the margin is the toughest. So a true nine for me is the one that attacks the thing I hate most, I hate most in football, the in-swinging corner. You know, <laughs> to attack the blinking ball, as they call it, the ball that comes to a crowd of players' legs. That's the true Do I think uh, Jermaine Defoe has a shout as well. Yeah. He doesn't quite fit all of those um, qualities, but he was just only about scoring goals. Right. So yeah, going back yeah. to the question, which, uh, of today's number nines, I think we're agreed, Lewandowski, right? 
Just my, because... my answer is I don't know. I actually don't know. You don't know? I don't think I know. Oh my goodness. That's really humble not to offer an opinion. I mean, I'm I just, just I don't, I, I, I'm too overwhelmed by this question. <laughs> Do you know what I love about these questions? My brain just fills with football <laughs> and I become speechless because my brain becomes like a thousand YouTube videos. <laughs> Before we wrap up, um, I wanted to say thanks to everyone who reached out about last week's podcast. We got some lovely comments about it. And yeah, please, as ever, if you listen to the podcast on iTunes, rate and review preferably five stars shout out to adam green who i actually met a real life fan the podcast well, a fan i met in real life the podcast who's here with the lovely yassi they're here for a few days in berlin and uh, oh. they were just they didn't just praise the analysis they loved the sound quality oh and that's something so yeah adam green loving the sound quality thank you ryan you're doing a great job i actually think i need to do it better but you know thanks oh, very much so humble <laughs> so that wraps up uh for another week thank you so much for joining us on the podcast you can find us at Rabon and Mag. All social media handles. Actually, before we go, yep. the second Rabona selects went up on the Rabona Twitter account at Rabona Mag on Twitter. Ooh. Ryan, do you want to just quickly explain Musa what Selects is all about? Huge dis- description of that last week, yeah. but quickly, it's just basically for anyone that missed the show last week. Some of uh, some of our favourite football highlights with some better music. Is that the best way to do it? <laughs> but we basically pick a tune that works with that player, and there's a reason why. And then we um, post them every week. So yeah. there'll be another one this week. We're a bit sick of uh, great football highlights to terrible techno music. Yeah, <laughs> although we also got, got a copyright infringement last week. Because of so <laughs> so uh, gonna have to watch that. That just means I'm gonna have to go for more underground stuff, which is cool. Awesome. But yeah, if you want to watch some Thierry Henry with Hugh Masakela, head to the Robona Twitter account. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, thanks so much for listening once again, and catch you next week. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.